Good morning and blessed Advent. Today is Thursday, December 22nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. What if I told you that one of your favorite Christmas hymns isn't really a Christmas hymn at all? Today is the last episode of our countdown with just two days remaining till Christmas Eve. And the hymn in question is one I actually like to use at the end of my congregation's Christmas Eve lessons and carol service, and then usually again at the beginning of the Christmas Day service to tie it all together. But still, it speaks more of Christ's return than his birth. In fact, she doesn't mention his birth at all. So open up your Lutheran service books to 387 and get ready as we dive into Joy to the World. I'd first like to thank the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help to bring you this very program. They also help bring the message of Christmas around the world through their translating and publishing work. You can learn more about what they do on their website, lhfmissions.org. Head over there and check them out. Well, without any further ado, we welcome our guest this morning. It's the Reverend Paul Hemingway, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Springfield, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Hemingway. Welcome to the program. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. Now, you, uh, you've you been on some KFUO programs in the past, including this very show with my predecessor, but it's the first time I've had you as a guest. And so one of the things I like to do whenever I get a new-to-me guest is ask you to share a little bit about yourself. How's God using you and the saints there at Trinity Lutheran? Oh, it's uh, that's uh, it's great to be on. Like I said, and thanks for having me. Um, things are uh, exciting here in Springfield. They were in a, a new season of, of ministry here, and we have a, a growing congregation in downtown uh, Springfield, Illinois, right across the street from our state capital here. And uh, we have a day school, a preschool, and and all kinds of things that are going on. And we're We're having a blessed uh, Advent season. We're really looking forward to getting into the Christmas season now. Absolutely. I've been asking uh, all our guests, especially during this time of looking at Christmas hymns, do you have something that you just really look forward to about either the Advent or the Christmas seasons? I mean, there's certainly beautiful seasons in the church here. Anything that you like in particular? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I, I love so many things about Advent and what it does for us, but I think the thing I like the most about it is that it is a constant reminder of the work of God and the promises of God coming true in in history. You know, we have the Old Testament prophecies that he was going to act to save his people. And Advent really focuses us on the fact that God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He kept his promise. He sent the Savior and I think that really empowers us to live today now as we wait for Christ to come back. So I, I love so many aspects about Advent, but I really love that aspect where it's a such a stark reminder that God always keeps his promises. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I love about it is the whole focus on the promise of Christ, because, you know, you have Christmas, which reminds us that God keeps his promises And then, of course, Advent, which leads up to Christmas and prepares our hearts for the end, which, of course, we're comforted by knowing that we have a God who keeps his promises. So, yeah, yeah, I I agree with you there. Well, do you have a favorite Christmas hymn or carol? You know, I've been asking guests and they act like it's Sophie's choice. I'm just, you know, surely you have a favorite that you can say. Uh, What do you think? Do you have a favorite? I kind of like the others. I don't know. It's a tough thing to pick. It's like... uh, you know, choosing your favorite person of the Trinity, I guess. Uh, I suppose <laughs> it's. Uh, I but I will say this: I'm I'm excited to do Joy to the World because boy, you can't go wrong with that one, can you? Well, it is a, a perennial favorite. People love Joy to the World, and yeah. you know, in my I knew some of this ahead of time, but in my research, you know, I find that yeah, this it's interesting how Isaac Watts writes this not as a hymn but as a poem, and not about Christmas but about just Christ's authority and, and really the end of the world. We're going to get into that. It's based on Psalm, I think it's 98. But uh, before we do any of that, let's go ahead and start off officially with asking the Lord to be with us through prayer. I invite you to lead us in that prayer. All right, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you bless us with. Thank you so much for this time of year that we get to really refocus and and look at how you have acted and worked in in your creation and what you do for for our benefit to save us from our sins. Lord, we ask that you bless us uh, today and bless this time together, uh, wherever this word is going out, that it would take root in our lives and it would change us to be like you call us to be. And we ask all this in the name of the one who makes that possible, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, now let's look at our hymn. So today it is, as we've already said, LSB 387, Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts. Now, brother, I'm going to hand it over to you. Take us through the story. How did this hymn come to be? Okay, well, you you got the ball rolling there. Um, that m- maybe this isn't really a Christmas hymn. Uh, maybe maybe this is something else. So it's a it's a great story, and it's actually a, a Isaac gets credit for the the words, and you mentioned that he writes this this uh, this book, uh, the Psalms of David, and um, and it's really this hymn is based on Psalm ninety eight. So Isaac is a, a English guy. And he was kind of a, a little bit of a, a rebel. And so he was very smart. He's probably too smart for his own good. And one day he's talking to his father and he's talking about the lack of joy that is found in Christian hymnody. And according to some traditions, his dad says, well, you're so smart. Why don't you go and write one that's better? <laughs> and this is one of his attempts to do that. And so he he goes to the the Psalms, which again we don't use, we usually think about Christmas hymns being associated with uh, the Gospels. And he goes to Psalm ninety eight and he writes this hymn of joy, and one thing leads to another, and a lot of years pass and nothing happens with it. And it isn't until. Um, a number of years later, where a guy named Lowell Mason now finds this writing of Isaac's and puts uh, music to it. And then it becomes popularized really in the 20th century, um, where it gets uh, widespread uh, use and and it becomes more and more familiar with people. And that's kind of where it leads us to today, where it's it's turned into the hymn that everybody knows. Yeah, so, you know, Watts is interpreting Psalm 98 as, you know, just a, a pointing forward to Jesus's role as king of the whole world, right? Both his church and the world. Yeah. Um, and then some of the other verses were added. So it's only the first couple of verses that he's really wrote in that in that that poem that he writes. Uh, but, yeah, it's almost 100 years later before we get the rest of it. And then it gets matched to a tune. It's just amazing as we've been studying these different hymns. You know, you cannot predict. It's just like what will go viral today. You can't kind of force it. You can't predict what people will pick up on. But I imagine that, you know, after 100 years, by the time that, you know, people were starting to sing Joy to the World, you know, the fact that it becomes a Christmas hymn, even though it mentions nothing specifically about Christmas, I think it reflects the reality of what Isaac was complaining about. You know, if he's complaining (laughs) that there's just not enough joy— then as soon as you write a joyful hymn, what do Christians do? Oh, well, this this feels like a Christmas hymn because right. that's when the joy is. Yeah. But I guess I have to admit that I agree with Isaac. There should be more joy the rest of the year. You know, sometimes when I'm writing a sermon or preaching a sermon, you know, in our sermons, we have to focus on the law, the malady, what sin is troubling us or what, what persecution or sin or trouble in the world do we need uh, uh, to know about how Christ has conquered it? Those things tend to be kind of negative, right? Christ came to take care of the bad stuff. And so we have to preach a lot of bad stuff. So I can see where you get caught in that habit of thinking life is just miserable and we're just waiting for Jesus to come and take us to heaven. Well, life is so much better than that. Amen. And that's, you know, when Christ says, I came that they have may have life and have it, you know, in fullness. He's not talking just about eternity. That absolutely is is a, a piece of it, but there's a whole lot written in this thing called the New Testament that talks about <laughs> our lives today, right. 
And you can't, you can't get away from that. You know, you have to admit that Christ came to do this, not just for, you know, eternity, but for temporal reasons as well. And so that, like you said, you also can't get away from the law and what it convicts right. us of and what it tells us of, you know, what it tells us, who it tells us we are. So you have to acknowledge that, but you also shouldn't just stay there. That seems like kind of a, a dismal place to be. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And, and so when we look through these hymns, we're going to see, or this probably, these stanzas of this hymn, we're going to see that the first two really do make uh, a, a lot of sense as it, as it might, you know, apply to Psalm 98. Stanza three kind of stands out a little bit. It really is taking us back to Genesis. Uh, it's talking about the curse and everything else. And then uh, the very last stanza gets back to the theme. So uh, I think that uh, if you have any if anything else to share, now's the time. Otherwise, I say we jump into the hymn. What do you think? Jump into the hymn. I love it. Okay. All right, here we go. So I'm just going to read the first uh, stanza or verse of Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is is come let earth receive her king let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing of course we have that repeating at the end but you know joy to the world the lord is come interesting english construction there um i, I think it, it you know, when we study Greek and Hebrew, we learn about, I think we learn more, I can only speak for myself, I learned more about English, I think, than I even did Greek and Hebrew. But <laughs> this Lord is come sounds odd, but it's certainly grammatically correct. What, what is he getting at when he says the Lord is come? Not has come, not will come, but is come. That's, that's strange. It, it is. And I, I personally think this might be the reason that it is uh, considered a Christmas hymn. You know, I think this is this is where we said, oh, we could sing this at Christmas because we're that's this is what we're celebrating. So um, we're in this, you know, season and we say he he's here. You know, he has come now. You, you sort of go back a little bit off the magnifying glass and you say, well, that sounds kind of odd. But I think it's so theologically accurate because isn't it the same thing we do with uh, with. Easter, you know, it's not Christ has risen. Christ is risen. Right. You know, Christ is come. It's not this. It certainly happened as a one time event in history, but Christ's presence in his creation is a continuous ongoing thing. And that means super, super cool things for you and me as believers. Absolutely. I mean, he has come and his coming is still here. Yes. Uh, and then even though he has departed bodily, he's, uh, you know, risen, he's, he's ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, he's still here. So when, when Christ came into the world, it leaves an indelible mark of his presence on the world. I mean, it doesn't go away. And when we think of, well, Prince of Peace, and he comes, and all these Christmas themes that he's come to reconcile us to the Father— uh, the joy that comes from knowing that the Messiah has come is certainly appropriate. And yeah. if we think about joy, you don't necessarily connect that to the end of time when Christ returns, because while our, jo our joy will be made complete when Christ comes and ushers us into the new heavens and the new earth, it doesn't mean that that happens without a lot of, well, angst and consternation, even for the believer, as Paul would say. Yeah. Even for, like you said, even for those of us who are brothers and sisters of Christ, um, we are going to go through some tough stuff before that day returns. But are we not going through tough stuff now? You know, I mean, we just read this uh, recently in in the Advent readings when you when you hear um, about the tough stuff coming up, and you hear about stuff happening in the world. You have to know that this is the way the world is. And that's why we should have so much joy about the fact that the solution for all of these problems that are happening in the world, he has come, he is come, and he's still here. He hasn't left his creation. He's still with us. What a, what a joyful thing that is, right? 
connecting this to Christmas, you know, we can go to Luke 2, and we've been in Luke 2 a lot over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> but, and the angel said to them, which would be the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So there is this connection of great joy and good news gospel with the coming of the Christ. Now, yes. joy to the world, the Lord is, Lord is come. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. So uh, there's some language in there, though, that as a uh, recover, recovering Arminian Baptist, <laughs> I would say that, you know, it, it, it tingles my, 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 the hairs on the back of my Lutheran neck now. Every heart prepare him room. It just it, it takes me back to my childhood where you have to sort of make a place for God and ask him into your heart. Is that what he's saying here? Well, <laughs> I like I like the way you put that. That was pretty good. <laughs> it's well, that's OK. It's the language of the Bible. It tells us it tells mm -hmm. us to do this. Does it ever say, hey, you get to take credit for your salvation? Absolutely not. But but, the, you know, the, the Bible does speak repeatedly about, the, uh, you know, us, uh, our bodies and our hearts being a place where where the Holy Spirit and the Son of God and, and thereby the Father live. And so, you know, Christ also makes a very valid point where your, you know, treasure is, there your heart is, where your heart is, there your treasure is. And, and so what's your treasure? Is it the Son of God coming into the world to forgive you? Or maybe we're locked in on some other things that we have turned into idols. It's a good reminder. Hey, Clear that stuff out of the way. Clear the paths out of the way. Some mm. guy named Isaiah said that. Some guy named John <laughs> the Baptist said that. You know, let's get the stuff out of the way and let's let Christ enter in. And Paul, of course, says in Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God yeah. raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yep. And again, we look at that and we know when looking at it with the whole context of Scripture in mind, that to be able to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart is a gift of God. Yeah. So it's nice to examine our own hearts, to look into them, as you just said, see if it's cluttered. What kinds of things have we, you know, are, have we erected an altar within our hearts to something or someone other than Christ? You know, repent of that. And yeah. then if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you can believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, well, the good news is, brother, you've been saved. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which, That's of course, right. is for everyone. So go and share that with other people. Yeah, it doesn't right. seem that complicated, but boy, growing up, it sure was. It sure was. Well, well but yeah, I love that idea of prepare, get ready. So, I, hey, we can throw this as an Advent hymn, too, because yeah, even right? though it says the Lord is come, it's looking forward to the end when the Lord returns bodily yes. to take us home. And what do we want to have when that happens, we want our hearts to be prepared. We want our lives to reflect uh, what Christ has given us to do. We want to we want to be and look busy when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> That's right, and that that uh, that happens from within. You know, that's what he says to the Pharisees. He's like, well, you guys look really good on the outside, but I know what's in there. And um, he says, now nah, make it make it count what's inside. So I I love it. The thing that's interesting to me that mm -hmm. kind of maybe makes me perk up a little bit that I, I think it's sad that we've kind of lost in, in certain circles, um, is the idea of nature singing out to the, to its creator. Yeah. I, I think that sometimes we can get a little bit wary of, you know, some kind of, you know, paganism or something like that. And we would just kind of rather brush by that idea, but that's a completely biblical idea as, as we've mentioned, we're talking about a very specific psalm here. All of nature is is going to sing out to the the returning Savior. All of all of things will acknowledge this, and uh, I just think that that is awesome. And it I think it helps flesh out everything we believe as uh, as people of God that He is the Creator and that He is interacting with His creation every second of every day. 
I think it's a good time as any to go ahead and read Psalm 98. Uh, now, you're going to find that the second half connects with the hymn a little more than the first, and he's also loosely basing it on it, but you can definitely hear where he's getting these images from the psalm. I'm just going to read it. Uh, it's only nine verses. Here we go. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to Yahweh with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, Yahweh. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before Yahweh, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people's with equity. So we see, obviously, in verses 4 through 9, especially, this make a joyful noise to the Lord or to Yahweh, as it says. Uh, break forth, play the lyre, you know, have the sounds of melodies coming from the trumpets. Um, and then, of course, it moves into the seas, the oceans, the rivers, everybody, everybody praise God. So you're right. I, I mean, we think of things like the Christmas tree. And when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to have a Christmas tree. <laughs> and then okay. we had a Christmas tree. Uh, oh, sorry. I was, I was allowed to have a Christmas tree. I'm sorry. My dad listened to this show. He'll correct me. I wasn't allowed to <laughs> sing, oh, Christmas tree. That's what I wasn't allowed to do um, because it was like praising the tree. But, oh, gotcha. you know, a lot of people will look at trees and say, oh, look, they're pagan. And yet this is, uh, this is nature that God created. And even if the pagans used it, God had it first. And so we, we see that too. We go out to nature and you hear people say, well, I really feel God in nature. And it's like, well, you know, he's not there in the same way that he comes to us in a very special way in the sacrament. But of course you should be out there with God in nature. That's, that's his creation. Yeah. If he, if he likes what he made so much that he didn't just nuke it into oblivion after we wrecked it with sin, uh, and but is going to go through this very, very elaborate and lengthy plan to redeem and renew it, we probably ought to value his creation uh, in, a, in a deeper and better way. Now, I come from the northwest of the United States, where we uh, can sometimes turn the creation into its own idol. And like mm -hmm. you said, we get, we get out in nature, and instead of just appreciating it, we can maybe turn a corner and worship it. And that's not the right thing to do either. We need to listen to what the word of God tells us, the revealed will of God tells us, and, and listen to how he says to use it. But, uh, but to downplay it, to go so far to the other side to say, well, it doesn't mean anything. That's a huge mistake, right. huge mistake. Yeah, we certainly don't want to worship the creation rather than the creator, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeing the hands and work of the creator in yes. creation. And, yes. and Christians should be the first to want to also protect creation and, you know, be, I guess, right-thinking environmentalists, so to speak. I know it's loaded <laughs> language, but oh, you yeah. know, we should be taking care uh, and being stewards of the creation that God gave us. But that's what we find in this first, uh, this first stanza. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Uh, we, we, we passed over it just a little bit, but the let earth receive her king um, not only points to heaven and nature singing, uh, but also the, all the people on the earth. I think sometimes this is something we also tend to forget as Christians because we're so caught up with the political realities of our world I think sometimes we forget that Jesus is ultimately who we have our loyalty to. Jesus is ultimately who is in charge. And, and he's, and again, we know that he's coming back. Yeah. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the King. And the Bible is very clear about that. And we need to acknowledge it. And, and I, I love, that's why I love this sentiment of Psalm 98 and thereby the hymn that, really makes you sit up and take note. Hey, if the mountains and the rivers and, you know, the hills and the trees 
and the flowers are going to one day sit up and take note. And maybe they are, and we just can't understand yeah. it right now, you know, because we don't speak their language. But um, I think that this is something that we would do well to learn from and, and maybe acknowledge him as king in deeper and more meaningful ways. Well, and, and not to go too far off the reservation, but, you know, when we look at nature, it's continuing to do what God created it to do, right. <laughs> to be mud, to be rocks, to be trees, <laughs> uh, whereas we're the ones who keep fighting against God's will for us. And I think that's something that we could also learn from the creation. Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, I tell you what, we're at a time for a break. Hey, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Hemingway and I will keep on going. We have three verses left, so we'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and with me this morning is the Reverend Paul Hemingway, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Springfield, Illinois. Well, the past two weeks, we've been counting down to Christmas by contemplating Christmas hymns according to the scriptures. Today, we're looking at joy to the world. Before we head back into the hymn, I just want to remind you that if you have any feedback, questions, comments, or complaints, feel free to reach out. You can find me on Facebook, you can send me a friend request. I'll accept it. We'll chit-chat there. Or you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Any of those methods can get your question or comment out on the air. But for right now, I'd like to go back to my guest. All right, Pastor, we just finished up with the first verse of Joy to the World. I think it's time to move into the second. And, you know, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage because... We really only have a half of a stanza to talk about for each one, but I think we can get through the next three in the <laughs> in the next 20 minutes or so. But uh, the next one goes, let me read it directly from the LSB, because when I have done that or not done that in the past, sometimes it's been wrong. Here we go. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Okay, so joy to the earth, I guess, I don't know if that's distinct from world, I don't think so, but we'll find out. The Savior reigns. So are, are these just synonyms, or is he trying to tell us something a little different in this second stanza? Well, you know... I think that there is a separation here. Stanza one, joy to the world, let every heart prepare him room. So I think maybe the distinction that, and I'm just taking a stab here because it seems like this might be a possibility, mm -hmm. is that the stanza one's about, uh, you know, the, the creation in the sense that it includes humans and maybe joy to the earth. Well, he says, let men their songs employ. And then, well, maybe he's just cross-pollinating everything here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know the answer to that. I just sort of thought of it while I was reading it because it could just be he doesn't want to use the same terms. But right. but at the same time, you know, Savior and Lord for sure have different connotations. A absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So kings ruling, you know, like in the back to the prophet, priest and king thing and, and the Savior now is this new aspect to it. And it, it all just... All it spells is joy for all of us that are singing it and, and listening to it. Well, we've already heard Psalm 98. I want to throw in uh, Isaiah 9. It's another text we've gone to a couple of times during this series. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, you know, when we have joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. It, you know, a couple things I noticed, though, if we do make a distinction between Lord and Savior, the Lord is come, he's arrived, and the Savior reigns. I think if I was writing that, I would reverse those. I would say the Savior has come or is come, and then the Lord reigns, because that's what lords do. But right. I think we're told here, and we can connect it to the Isaiah passage that I just read, that when God comes as our Savior, he doesn't just come to save us and then to release us back into whatever condition we've left ourselves in, but rather he comes to then also reign, rule over us. I, I, I know it's terribly cliche, but I, I, I remember people saying things like, you know, well, Jesus is your Savior, but is he your Lord? And while that's awful law heavy, it kind of makes sense because we're eager for Jesus to be our Savior, but are we eager to have him reign over us? Yeah. Again, let's let's kind of get rid of anything, any preconceived notions or any past experiences and just ask the question, is this the language the Bible uses? Is he our Savior? Yep. Is he our Lord? Yep. Is he our King? Yep. And if that's the case, then, then we have to understand that God communicates that to us because he loves us so much. And so if it's a if it's a good thing for us to make him our king, then it's 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 a good thing, and we need to we need to do that. We need to you know make him our savior in our and I you know what I mean by those. Oh those yes, phrases. of course, yeah. of course. And so yeah, and so, but you know, we have this language from Isaiah about government. Um, he's going to be the prince of peace. Uh, his kingdom will be established. It, it's really kind of no wonder that the early first century Christians were expecting a a king to come in, a, someone who would run out the Romans who were oppressing them and set up a new kingdom. I mean, you kind of have to be a little sympathetic to them. Absolutely. If if we're not, we're being very hypocritical because even you got think about this, even guys that were following him around all the time that had witnessed all these miracles had had heard him teach and preach and and set examples for how to live at the very end, they're still asking him, "Hey, are you going to set up Israel now? Are you going to are you going to set up the new the new government?" And so i I think it's very kind of judgmental of us to to go after them as hard as we do. What we do want to do with that uh, part of Scripture and where it speaks to that is is for us not to make that mistake. And so, yes, he's going to come back, but he's going to come back and 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 rule and reign and govern in the ways that all of these things are actually supposed to work. The, you know, the, the government was supposed to work a particular way, the way that, you know, God had designed it in, in uh, his whole plan and then sin wrecked it. You know, the, the way that people were supposed to interact with one another, sin wrecked it. The way that leaders were supposed to act with their people, sin wrecked it. The way that people who are being led are supposed to treat their leaders sin wrecked it so he's going to come back he's going to do it right he's going to make it perfect and we're going to benefit from it and that makes sense if we look back to psalm 98 where we know that isaac watts was mostly inspired the last verses say right well actually after saying make a joyful noise let the sea roar let the rivers clap etc then it says he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So basically, the government, if we want to use that human term that Christ is ushering in, is one that, as you've said, he desires for us from the beginning. He will judge the world, but he'll do it with righteousness and he'll judge people um, equitably. Now, that is kind of horrifying <laughs> in, in view of <laughs> our sins, but thank God for the gospel, which tells us that the righteousness is that he is going to honor what uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made or that he himself made, but that God will honor the sacrifice that was made for us. And the equity means that all people have access to this. That's right. How that's, else would you look at that? That's where the joy is found. If, hey, if you're with this guy and if you 
I have put your, you know, like you said earlier, um, you know, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. This day is a joyful day. It, but like the Bible says, if if you haven't believed in 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 this uh, Savior, uh, it is it is a bad day, and you don't want to be a part of it on that side. So this this is uh, this is where the joy is found. Is that all of all of this um, all of these promises, all of this prophecy, everything that is being said here about what's going to happen when he comes back. He he is going to rule with equity. He is going to rule with righteousness and and judge with righteousness. And that's the promise of the gospel. If you believe in him, oh man, that means beautiful things for us forever and ever. Amen. Well, this third stanza, which isn't often sung according to my research. Now, we Lutherans like to sing all the hymns, or all the stanzas of all the hymns. Uh, <laughs> But I remember that for those who just sing the first and fourth, they often skip the third. But the third seems a little out of context at first, if you're just thinking about it being some sort of Christmas hymn. But in the totality of it, both Christmas and his second return, boy, it actually brings a lot of comfort. Here comes the third stanza. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. So he's coming. He's actually, no, he's not coming. He has come. He is come. He's here. And he currently reigns. And when it says no more, let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Do you read the imperative, you read that as an imperative, no more, like we need to quit letting sins and sorrows grow because Jesus is here? Or do you read this as, because Jesus is here, no more will sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground? Uh, well, how do you th- take it? I think it's, I think it's both. In the, in the state where we are waiting for his return, isn't that the language of the Bible? When, right. when he's telling us, Heaven and earth are cool now because of the work of the Christ child. So in your own personal life, have we been equipped to box out and and deal with sins and sorrows in new and different ways? And the answer is absolutely. That is that is the one of the main threads through the whole story is that because of the work of God and the promises of God, we get to live differently right now. Now, there, I like what you said about, hey, once he's here, though, and once he's returned, now sin and sorrow don't have a chance. They can't grow. They're going to be eradicated like weeds in the garden, and they're going to be thrown out, and they're going to be burned up. And, man, I can't wait for that day. Uh, you know, if we were to dive into the Bible to find this, I think almost everybody could find it. We're looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, and we see here that it is our sin that has brought the curse into the world. The curse is, you know, emblematically being represented here by thorns. But, you know, no thorns infest the ground. That's the difficulty in labor and work that God cursed mankind with. And yet when he returns or when he comes at the beginning— and then when he returns at the end, which will be finally completed, but in the in between time, as he reigns, he's searching out far as the curse is found. That is, there is no place that has been affected by God's curse that is not also, uh, uh, or cannot also benefit from his coming. And I think that's important too, right? We're not Calvinists, right? This is, Christ has come for all people. As far as the curse is found, Christ's reigning means something. And and interestingly enough, it even means something for those who reject Christ. Now, while it doesn't work out for them at the end, this world is better off just as a society for Christ having come. And I think that's also something that people miss. Most of Western civilization that people um, admire, uh, not the bad stuff, but the good stuff, (laughs) all of that comes as a result of Christ and Christians. So even if you don't believe in Jesus, well, you're still benefiting from God's coming. Oh, absolutely. And that is, uh, um, that's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the benefit of Christianity on the world. Uh, even in spite of all the hypocrites that, uh, like myself that have been Christians right. over time, you know, but, uh, 
but no, this is exactly it. There, this is a this is a benefit beneficial thing for every piece of of the globe. Every part of the universe is going to benefit from this because of because it, if Christ is going to come and judge and and he can only do it with justice and and equity and righteousness, then that means it's a very good thing. So it's a really good idea to get on this guy's you know side. <laughs> That's right. One of the well, things I love about so much about this is there's there's so many ways to interpret this, but one of the one of the interpretations I like about the far as the curse is found is I I think this is almost a a threat to sin. It's not it's not just like hey, it's this blanket thing that's going to go out around the world, which is true. It's going to be this blanket of righteousness and and perfection and everything. But I I also like the to think of it in terms of sin. The Savior is coming for you, and there isn't a place as far as as you think you can run. He is going to come and he is going to get you and he's going to eradicate you. What do you think of that? Not only that, he's going to lock up the master of sin and put him away forever and ever. I, I love that that idea that it's not. Yeah, he's the Prince of Peace and he's the wonderful counselor. He is also the guy that can inflict the most damage on right. anything he wants to. And that's what he's done. And he's come to do damage to sin. And he's come to take it out no matter where it is. He's going to find it and he's going to take care of it. I, I, I love that aspect of, of this. I do. Game. I like that perspective to it. It has Jonah vibes too. You know, you can't get away <laughs> from God. You can't run away. And that's what sin often causes us to do. It's what it caused Adam and Eve to do. Once right. they had sin, once they had sinned, and once they were struggling with that sin, their gut reaction was to run away from God. When in the reality is when we struggle with sin, we need to be running toward God. But that's not what the devil is, not what our human, sinful human natures want to do. We want to hide from God, partly because I think we like our sins and partly because it causes us to rightly be afraid of he who judges our sins. But we know that we have a Christ who has come, is come, and judges with righteousness and equity. And so let's move into our final stanza because it continues to talk about the great ways in which God rules. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. So he rules the world with truth. All right, we know what that means, grace, okay. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Well, we're definitely going to want to pick that up, but let's start with the first section. Um, how does God, how does Christ rule the world with truth and grace today? Well, if you want to know the source of truth, um, that's where you go. It, the idea of, you know, we have a tendency to talk about uh, truth and love and justice in the in the wrong ways, as if those are higher concepts than than God. And the truth of the matter is all of those things have to answer to God. It's the other way around. He is, he is the source of all things that are good. So as he rules the world, he's, he can only do it in truth. And that means that what he has revealed to us in his word is where we can go to find out what is the truth about living in this world. What's the truth about um, how we interact with one another. What's the truth about making decisions about things? What I love about the fact, though, is that it doesn't, sometimes we can have a tendency to talk about the truth and use it as a hammer, or that's what we want to do with it. But this stanza, and most importantly, the Bible doesn't let us do that, with truth and grace. So as he's telling us we're sinners, it, doesn't he say, he doesn't just say, you're sinners, and I'm going to just leave you hanging with that. He says, you're sinners, but I've come to save you, and I've come to do that out of my love for you. That's that's how he's interacting with us today, and that's how God has always interacted with us, with truth and with grace, and offers to save us, and we know that his offer is always good. 
That's why we have joy. Very famous passage reflects the same tone. This is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So while we have been talking about this hymn focuses quite a bit because of its, you know, it's being founded on Psalm 98 about Christ's judgment at the end of time, that judgment begins really when Christ comes at Christmas because he comes to make it such that uh, he can save people. He, he wants to save people from the condemnation that is coming. And so we, we read, of course, in John 3.16 and other places that Christ has come to save the world. Christ is not to be feared, but who fears him? We see in the scriptures, the demons fear him, death fears him. All of the enemies that we have are afraid of Christ. And so, yeah, that's that's why he comes in with the truth. The truth is scary to those who want to live in the darkness. Why God talks about the truth and light right. being connected. But the grace, you're so right. He gives us his truth. And then how should we do it? Should we go out and make people terrified of us? Or should we, like <laughs> Jesus, come and, of course, with grace and mercy and gentleness and love, really love people into the truth? Now, that yeah. isn't to say that sometimes you don't have heated debates or that you don't have to flip a table to or over or knock down a statue of Satan in the Ohio courthouse every now and then. Uh, not that I'm making a comment on that recent event. But the point is, you know, there are times for zealousness, but you're not going to get very far usually. That You know, it's hard for us, if not impossible for us, to be righteously indignant like Jesus can be. Right. No, it's... It's funny you bring up the statue thing, because like I said, we're here at Trinity uh, and we've been we've been in the game since 1841. We're we're older than Synod and right across the street from us in our capital, we we have the statue of of the enemy um, mm -hmm. and we can deal with this in a couple of ways. And we're choosing to deal with what is happening there with exactly what the four stanza says, the truth of God almighty and the grace of God almighty. And if he, if it was good enough for our Lord and savior to deal with the problems of the world this way, then that's how, that's how we're going to do it too. I like it as tempting as it is to, <laughs> <laughs> boy, you can to, appreciate the feeling though, right? I right. Mean, well, right. I, man, it's tempting, isn't it? Well, one thing we notice, though, as we look at how Jesus interacts with people, take the Samaritan woman at the well. He doesn't roll up and then the first thing out of his mouth is tell her about how wrong she is and she's to do this and how the Samaritans are on the wrong side. And, or, or um, the, you know, the woman who comes and begs at his feet and says, that, you know, the crumbs to the dogs are good enough. You know, he doesn't destroy her because really that's all she should have expected. He's the yeah. son of David. Instead, yeah, he, he meets us where we're at. It's not that he's condoning, um, say, things like drunkenness and prostitution when he hangs out with such people, no. but he also knows such people like us need him. And so I think that's great. I mean, no one's saved by perfect doctrine. We're saved by our faith in Jesus. And so you have to start there. Yeah. And, and I'm totally with you. You know, I, I think it would definitely give you some free publicity at your church if you'd go knock that thing over. But uh, yeah, we're certainly not calling anybody to do that kind of stuff because that's that really. And again, with full appreciation for how you might feel, that's probably not the best way to win Christ. In fact, I've seen so many articles where instead of supporting this guy and some are so many people are now disparaging the faith and that's predictable in yep. any talk. But still, that's what's happening. And that's at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I have to I have to look in the mirror and I have to say, you know, so many of my other actions that aren't maybe necessarily this heated or this emotionally charged are in direct violation of all the Ten Commandments. So I got to be real, real careful about this and not just act on on one facet of what is driving me emotionally. And at the end of the day, if I am. If I'm on the winning team because of this Jesus Christ, uh, you know, character that is the savior of the world. <laughs> right. And if I want to stand in front of him on that day, I also want to, until that day, represent him properly um, because of all that he's done for me. And and so that means that that truth and grace has to apply to me. 
And I need to take that into account that God is being patient with me, that he is, uh, he is going to, to, uh, handle me in, in such a way. And I don't want to abuse that grace, you know, uh, make it cheap grace. Like we famously say to the point where I am doing something incredibly damaging to his kingdom, you know? Yeah. We think about Jesus walking through, you know, the place where he lived and, and these cities were filled with pagan statues, you know, so Jesus isn't knocking them down left and right, but you know what? I, and I'm also not necessarily going out and judging the guy because I also understand the emotions behind this. People are fed up. People are so sick of it. So it's tough. It's tough. And we could talk all the time about that, but anyway, I just sort of (laughs) threw that in. Yeah. Yeah. So joy to the world though, is this one where it reflects, I think what you're saying though, is that the reason why we get to have joy is the same reason why we get to be peaceful and gentle uh, in our interactions with others. And that's because the Lord has come. Christ has come. He's here. This is what we've been all waiting for. I mean, bad things still happen. Yeah, they do. And and it's okay to mourn those things when they happen. But just keep in mind, the Lord has come. Yeah. Again, what I was kind of saying about the Advent season when we first started, he's done it before. He's made promises before, he's kept them before, and he's making a promise to us now. He's going to make good on that promise. So in the meantime, let's let's use his methodology. Let's use his his way of, of living and operating. And like he said, look, I get I get angry with the best of them. <laughs> but I also have had to apologize countless times in my life for acting on that anger. And, uh, and there are, there are other ways to handle, handle things. And, and that's where Christ is such a great example, uh, for us, you know? Well, it is. And he certainly brings joy into our lives. And I pray that you brother have a joyful Advent and Christmas season, just a couple more days until Christmas. Uh, but thank you so much for being on the show this morning. We're at time folks. I'd like to thank the Reverend Paul Hemingway, Hemingway, pastor of Trinity Lutheran church in Springfield, Illinois. By the way, I bet you get that all the time. <laughs> all the time. Oh, yes. So, yeah, <laughs> even my first notes had Hemingway all the way through it. But no, it's yeah. Hemingway and uh, excellent senior pastor there at Trinity Lutheran. Thanks, brother, for being on the show. Thank you. God bless you. Folks, well, that wraps it up for Thy Strong Word for not only this series, but for the whole year. And just as secular Christmas is coming to an end in the next couple of days, the true Christmas season is just starting up. KFUO's 12 Days of Christmas programming begins Christmas Eve, so be sure to tune in for that. This program will return in Epiphany on January 8th, and we'll be back in the New Testament with Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So until then, I pray that you have a blessed and Merry Christmas, and may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray together, Father, keep us in thy strong word.